What are you doing here? It's challenge day. You know we've influenced nearly every facet of white America. From our music to our style of dress, walk, talk, dress, mannerisms. We enrich your very existence. You should say thank you, man. Welcome to the Black Blue Podcast. I greet you with the greetings of peace. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. This is your host, Tariq el and I am pleased to be with you again on this first day of uh, Black History Month, even though you know, especially if you uh, have been uh, have been with me for a while back uh, from Radio Islam to now the Black Group Podcast, you know that we do Black history year round. Uh, I am really happy to have joining me a great guest that is going to be able to, I think it's going to give us some great uh, perspective, uh, historical uh, context, and really uh, just, just some different ways of seeing things. So I'm really happy to have him with us, uh, Brother Clyde Alamine. He is the former president of Olive Harvey and the former president of Kennedy King uh, Colleges. These are both um, institutions within the city college uh, system here in Chicago. Uh, he's an educator and a nonprofit leader, and I welcome him to the Black Blue Podcast. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is it is my pleasure. So we're just going to jump right in. Um, You're just in the in, in the in the interest of uh, making sure that there there's no apparent conflict of interest. <laughs> right, right. That we have the same last name. <laughs> it's my uncle Clyde. Yeah, right. <laughs> it had nothing to do with me being on this show. We just, right, right. We have the same last name, and I'm always being accused of being related to you. You probably get it too. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> hey, uh, they they could uh they could assume relations for far less of an individual. Oh, believe so, me, uh, I feel the same way about your family. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we occupy, I think, a very unique space, uh, and that is, you know, being black, African American, being Muslim. Um, you know, we think about uh, demographics and where we fit into the into the pie, you know, we're a minority of a minority in this, in this country, you know, not globally, but in this, mm -hmm. in this, in this country, in this society. Um, and as we are now um, observing, back to this observance of Black History Month, uh, what are some of the things that come to mind for you uh, that are important when we talk about that intersection that, um, that we, you know that 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 are missing. You know what are some of the some of the things that our experience, um, you know, maybe is is not getting out there as, as far as uh, you you see. Well, I wish that we would continue what has been an evolution to Black History Month. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm very fortunate. Uh, some people will think that that's a strange adjective for what I'm about to say, but I was very fortunate because I went to school in the South, my elementary schooling, and, 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 and I say so-called segregated schools because today's schools are not called segregated and they are. <laughs> I was recalled segregated and they were. Uh, but what happened in those schools was a commitment to making sure we knew something about our contributions. They could only officially celebrate that for a week 
then. And remember that I can't remember the year that that got started, but I know it was it was it was started. It was either started or inspired by Carter G. Woodson. And we got a week given to that. Then it, then it evolved to a month. So I'm just, I'm hoping that the evolution will keep on going yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it will be what it is supposed to be. Simply not just a part of, but very foundational to American history and world history, because that's the reality of it. And it, is all, it has always been the reality of it. I don't have a problem with acknowledging our progress from nothing to a week to a month because that's part of our history as an ethnic group and in America, but as truly, I think the most authentic Americans. And I don't say that because I think it's cute. I think we are the most authentic Americans in all of the things that America is supposed to stand for. Right. So, and I remember before I was even in the so-called public schools that were segregated, living in the country and my grandmother would take us with her on Sunday to this church. And oftentimes she would point out to us this building on the back of this little church called Rockdale in Grady, Alabama, which is right, Grady, Lapine, Alabama, in that little area. And that this attachment to the back of the church was a school that they built for my mother's generation to go to school. Mm. Okay. And then we were going to this elementary school before we moved to Montgomery. In, 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 in the county, uh, it was a cool school called Helican, which was a, one of the early black schools that I'm pretty sure Booker T. Washington and company had something to do with building, you know, and then, and then on to Montgomery. And people say, okay, well, we had these segregated schools. That's a great misunderstanding of the role that African-Americans have played in education in America, particularly in the South, because African-Americans are literally responsible for their even being public schools for the masses in most of the Southern United States. Because during slavery, they didn't give a doggone about poor whites or whites who just couldn't afford slaves be getting an education. They had no, almost had no public schools. All right. When blacks got elected during reconstruction, one of the things that they, that was a priority for them was establishing public school districts in the Southern United States. So that was the outgrowth of the uh, the Freedmen uh, the Freedmen schools. No, well, the Freedmen's Bureau was initially the Freedmen's Bureau was like black but slaves just trying to get an education, right? You know, and it was kind of almost like an evolution of you they, you no longer had to sneak and learn you could actually open the door. The Freedmen's Bureau did start some schools, but there weren't public school districts. I'm talking about for everybody in in, in many places in the South there was no public school. When mm. all of these blacks were elected to Congress and to state office during reconstruction they were usually the ones that the first politicians to pioneer compulsory education and public schools in the south you get any book that's truly giving you the history of southern public education it will tell you this hmm. so casting us as some people who just has to have a week of our history and because you know we kind of we, we, we really didn't do that much and we were really left out that is just the opposite of the truth. Yeah. You know, so we, are, we, were, we were the, you might say the pioneers of, 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 of education for the masses, especially in the South. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that was a different, and people have to understand that was a different story. Uh, right. Industrialized North, where exactly. education was really about fitting, fitting folks into 
these industrial exactly uh, exactly exactly yeah. and yeah. and for the most part we weren't present in the north yeah. in significant numbers then yeah, yeah. <laughs> we came absolutely. later yeah absolutely you know so, one of the things that I've, I've noticed and i'd like to get your take on um which is the when black history month comes around and i, I recall growing up in school we'd always hear about the the inventors you know yes we'd hear, we'd hear about the um um I'm, I'm trying to think folks like um uh garrett morgan you know uh, garrett morgan granville yeah. t woods of course george washington carver and uh yeah 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 you know and you know just just that group of folks that um they you know they contributed they had material contributions their creativity their their genius uh resulted in benefit for you know society in general you know mm -hmm. the refrigerated truck the home mm -hmm. security system um you know i mean just hundreds of, of of inventions um but there is less emphasis on thought leadership mm -hmm. you know and i think you know one leads to a conversation about um uh capitalism at least uh uh you know fitting into a system that uh that uses people for mm -hmm. you know for its own end mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to those individuals, you know, you think about a Marcus Garvey, you know, mm -hmm. you think about, you know, this, this, this message, you know, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, uh, and of yeah. course, Imam Warthi Muhammad, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we celebrate King, we'll talk mm -hmm. about, you know, Malcolm. No, we celebrate their version of King. They're, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Great point. Great point. But, but do you think that uh, I mean, so so, what do you think about this? Is the, do you feel like do you agree that there, there are so many names that are not coming to me as readily as they used to in terms yeah. of early uh, spokespersons for for freedom, even yeah. during the time in America leading up to the Revolutionary War with Britain, uh -huh. history will give you the impression that only white people were uh, making declarations of freedom. Yeah. There were black men and women in America who were not slaves and most definitely probably some who were. In fact, I know there's, there's, there's historical record of slaves definitely saying, yeah, let's, let's, let's push this taxation without representation thing, let's push this freedom thing, because I'm sure you understand that it, that it applies to us, okay? Right. Uh, while some of the primary authors of the Declaration of Independence had slaves, there were slaves saying freedom should be the, the legacy of every American. And right. there were free men, for sure, free Africans, who were posting uh, leafless uh, on, on doors and other public places when the agitation for freedom from, Brit from Britain was taking place. And of course, there used to be a time that we actually were taught in school that the first person to die in the Revolutionary War in the Battle of Bunker Hill was a black man. You know, yeah. They don't even talk about that very much anymore. But it used to be, you know, like, as you might say, regular fare at the restaurant of ideas about black history. You know? Yeah, the only person, we, we hear about Christmas Addicts. Christmas Addicts, and he wasn't even the only one. And, yeah. and if you look at some of the authentic paintings 
of George Carver crossing the Potomac, some of those actually still have black men on them. You know, George Washington. I mean, George Washington, not George Washington Carver. <laughs> Sorry, thank you so much for that correction. See, I'm so used to saying the other, the other name. Yeah. You know, so, but we didn't just grab muskets or whatever. We had ideas about freedom. Yeah. And, and but nobody was going to publish our ideas. We had ideas about freedom. And those ideas continued up until even the abolition, ab, the era of abolitionism, as they call it, was not something that just popped up at that time. It was a continuation from the era of the fight for independence of the country. You know, I really appreciate you making that point there about uh, they were not interested in our thoughts. They've been interested. Uh, there was interest in our products, what we were yeah. able to give, but not in the uh, in the minds behind them. And when we think about George Washington Carver, uh, particularly somebody who, I mean, he, he did so much, you know, he had hundreds, I mean, upon hundreds of, of, uh, of, of developments and discoveries that he made just from, from the peanut and from, uh, from uh, the sweet potato um, and, uh, and, and even some of the work that he did, like with, uh, with the, the Alabama, uh, the clay. The clay you know, dirt. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Developed dyes out of that. Yes. And um, but but more importantly, and, re, and developed a lot of the lubricants that became yes. a foundational ingredient in our quote unquote industry. Yeah, uh, Ford used to bring Carver to Detroit for weeks at a time. Yeah, and a lot of people not aware of that. Yes, weeks he's at a time. He's the only scientist. He's the scientist. I don't know if he's still the only scientist with a pavilion of his own at the Henry Ford Greenfield Village Museum, which really? is Detroit's Detroit's answer to our Museum of Science and Industry. Okay. Wow. He has a pavilion. The George Washington Carver Pavilion is there. Wow. Has been there for the longest. But but you, you know, know something. In addition, I mean, aside from not aside from, but in addition to his brilliance, um, I don't think his spirit is is really talked about enough. Um, I mean, he's got. I mean, there's so many just wonderful uh, quotes that are attributed to him. Uh, attributed to him. One of them. Uh, I remember that stuck with me. As a matter of fact, I talked about this a while back. Was you know if you what is that? If you love a thing, um, it will. I'm paraphrasing. It will give you its secrets. You know if you if you yes yes he he approached God, the, yeah he approached nature that way because yes. he, he believed that he believed that God Allah had placed something of benefit to man in everything, and mm -hmm. people talk a lot about Carver and the earth and the plants etc. What they don't talk about is Carver's spirituality would be perfectly in line with how the Quran talks about nature and how the planets and the stars, all of that is to the benefit, it's for your benefit. Yeah. When I attended the, when I visited the George Washington Carver Museum, it was years ago. I know it was years ago because I, I, I can, I'm, I'm looking at my daughter and my niece with me. And they are like just becoming teenagers. I mean, like maybe 12-ish, you know, really thinking they're teenagers at the time. <laughs> but but I rem there, were, there were recordings of Carver teaching physics classes at Tuskegee. And he's telling his students in the physics class about looking out into the heavens and seeing the planets, et cetera. And how he's saying, God put all of that out there to benefit you and to serve man. So... Yeah. That was a physics class. Then later I learned that Carver was the only person that Booker T. Washington would allow to do the chapel service at Tuskegee. Mm. 
wow. because he didn't trust the quote unquote, the ignorant preachers. He didn't want his students to get all this enlightenment and then face this ignorance on Sunday, <laughs> you know, whenever they had Vesper services. So George Washington Carver did a lot of the quote unquote religious training at Tuskegee too. Wow. Because, you know, I want to go back to the revolution because we forgot, we forgot a sister. <laughs> Who was that? Phyllis Wheatley, the poet. Oh, yes. You know. Oh, yeah. She was like, she could have been the poet laureate of the American Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> you look at what she wrote. She reminded them how they were mistreating her a couple of times, too. But when you look at her poetry, mm -hmm. she could have been the voice. And she had the best position to talk about freedom. Mm hmm Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You know, and, and I think, yeah. That, that kind of goes back to one of the, I guess, the critiques that I have not not so much of the the, the uh, Black History Month as an institution, but in but in terms of when we talk about its evolution, um, you know, at its core, it's, it it cannot just be a celebration of we have made things, but mm -hmm. that what is the spirit behind the individuals that has that have made those things? Yes. Right? What is the you know what's the philosophy? What's the thought? And um, so when I think about philosophy. Uh, even though he was a sociologist, right? But a lot of his work, W.E.B. Uh, w. E. Du Bois, yeah, a lot of his uh, work has become, you know, it's kind of foundational for like, you know, um, uh, you know, Afri Af what is it, African philosophy, Africana? Africana uh, studies and other, yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. 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 I think he brought, I think he brought a worldview and I hate this term because it sounds so elitist, but it's not what I mean. Because I'm I'm, I'm a student of Imam Dhabi, Muhammad too. This yeah. is for the masses. This is just these are just the only words I can come up with. He brought a uh, a language about social relationships. You know, a language about what was the fulfillment for a quote unquote a man or mankind. You know, mm -hmm. uh, he talked about because i don't think you for example you could have found a, a a white intellectual who did not call themselves a religious person or a a, a, a scholar of divinity etc i don't think they probably would have named a book the souls of anybody no yeah <laughs> so he said the souls of black folks here was a here was a quote unquote intellectual understanding that the essence of a human being is their soul. Yeah. Not their mind, or not just their mind, or their physical, but the soul. And he understood that all these layers really were what made up the person. You know, and I compare him with probably some of his contemporaries that might have even been in the field I was studying, like psychology. You know, once you got past that first day in psychology, and they told you that the word psychology was from the Greek word psyche that meant soul and ology that meant science of. You didn't talk about the soul anymore. <laughs> that was it for the soul. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, except for Carl Jung. Carl Jung kind of talked about this thing called archetypes, but yeah. he really didn't go into the soul, you know, as, as, as the essence. So I think it says something about the kind of thinkers that we produce. And one of the unique aspects of it was that they, they couldn't drop 
the, 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 what people might call the spiritual. I don't like that term because we know that it's misleading in terms of what it is, but we are simply, we are, we are more than our, than ourselves. We are, we are, we are beyond the demarcation of ourselves that Western society forces us into. Like I, like I end at the end of this body, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, 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 I'm one with nature. I'm one with my, my fellow human beings. I'm obviously we are all in God's creation and a part of God's creation. And, and we're, and we're united and connected in that way. And I think W.E.B. Du Bois was saying what he observed about us and trying to find words to express it, you know. I think we, we saw, uh, I agree. I think we saw two different things too. We also saw this split, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in thinking. We think about back to the uh, uh, so-called period of enlightenment yeah, um, yeah. and, and then uh, the Renaissance. And we see um, all of these thinkers that have produced, you know, like Locke and Hume. We, we, we see these uh, thinkers that have produced an idea that says, uh, my my intellect allows me to um, is, is what actually allows me a pathway to liberty mm -hmm. and my liberty um, really separates me as opposed to joining me with uh, society. So this idea, mm -hmm. I mean, and we see that today, this idea of I'm fighting for freedom and for liberty, but it's a really it's a really skewed and a perverted um uh, you know, interpretation of it, as mm -hmm. opposed to when you get to this idea of the, you know, the souls, uh, where, you know, in Islam, you know, obviously, you know, uh, reverence your guardian Lord who created you from a single soul. Mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. to recognize the individual soul is to also recognize the the common connection that's 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 built around that soul. Mm -hmm. um, so even for W. E. B. Du Bois to to reference that. It, it speaks to something that is unique uh, that I think the African-American has represented here um, where it hasn't just been about the intellect. It's really been about tapping into that, that deeper and more meaningful uh, uh, existence. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've always had that. We've, we've had instances where we tried to separate ourselves from that part of our struggle, uh, keep, but but we always kind of find ourselves coming back to it. We try to borrow the models that other people have used, but again, we always find ourselves coming back to it, even if it's just a song we have to sing or whatever. In the midst of uh, a, a, a demonstration or or in the midst of uh, a meeting or what have you. I think we, with all the pressure we have to do so, we have not been able to, and I hate to say able to, because I don't think it's an achievement, just totally disconnect from that deep thing within us that some people might call spirit, except that we call soul, but it's what connects us to the rest of creation and connects us to each other. And if you really look at the, the, the uh, efforts that African-Americans were making from slavery through Jim Crow, even up to uh, the second, I call it the second civil rights movement, because to me, uh, the, the, the first civil rights movement was actually liberation from slavery. Then we had to do the Jim Crow thing. And then here we are again, 
you know, it's, it's, it's a continuous thing. It never really stops. As long as there are people who believe they have a right to curtail the freedom of other human beings, you're going to have to have movements for freedom. But when you really look into the most, most of the unreported parts of Black movements forward, you see things like uh, thrift clubs. You know, you see things like, you see social clubs. You see uh, some of it is, some, you know, even some of the masonry that people have some problems with, but honestly and truly, you know, black folks are never really the powerful people in that whole Freemasonry thing, you know, Eastern stars you know, and other groups. We've always had heavy, a heavy social element to our move, movement forward, you know? And I think that has sustained us, but also I think it's natural and we have forgotten. I mean, look at Booker T. Washington. He could have just, Built Tuskegee. He didn't have to deal with the business association, you know, and then they had another association that 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 was for women because you know we are we are, we are, we are part of the society that we live into. So back then, that was, the men thought the women needed kind of needed their own society. So people like Dorothy Height formed the National Society of Negro Social uh, National Association of Negro Women. Or I can't remember. I'm probably not saying the name exactly right, but everybody mm -hmm. listening to this who knows anything about it knows exactly what I'm referring to just right. when I say Dorothy Height, you know. Mm -hmm. And and the fraternities and the sororities in their origins, it was not just about social, it was not just about, it was, it was the farthest thing from being about partying or any of that stuff, you know. It, they were actually born out of struggle too. I mean, they were excluded. I mean, the, I think the alphas were at Cornell and basically, they were feeling the pressure <laughs> to form their own organization. Do their own thing. Right. And almost every one of those nine organizations that we generally talk about, I think yeah. they call themselves the Divine Nine, have yeah. some similar beginning. And yeah. they even have a, a service purpose or something in their charters in terms of what they were created for. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know a lot about white fraternities and sororities, but I just don't get that feel from them. Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think most, uh, so much of what we have done throughout our history here, uh, it has always eclipsed uh, the individual. It has never yeah. been about just a single person doing well. Right. Um, and, and even now, like, you know, if we look at, if we look at, uh, at hip hop, we look at the, the, the whole rap scene now, um, there is, and maybe it is changing a little bit. I don't know. Because I, I, I'm starting to fade away, you know, uh, mm -hmm. as time goes on. But um, when one guy got on, he he brought his, or she now, you know, brought her yeah. people with her. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. But I'm seeing more efforts to isolate artists uh, now, mm -hmm. where it's not, it's not as much about that, uh, that community. It's not as much about bringing people on. Like, probably the last folks that I remember who had that kind of a community idea was um, that I was paying attention to was uh, maybe it was 50, 50 cent. He had his, right. Team, right. He brought his other guys on and you know what you think, whatever you want to about him, but it was still this idea of trying to, trying to build something bigger than. Well, I see him doing that in business. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. I see him in terms of, in terms of his productions. I yep. mean, I, you know, I, I, that's some of them I'm probably afraid to watch in terms of I might run across the content I shouldn't be watching. <laughs> but 
But I, I but I watch his moves. enough. <laughs> yeah, I watch his moves. Yeah, and I and I and I and I watch the moves of a number of other brothers and sisters in that area, and yeah. I think we have to give them room to play carefully in the environment that they're in, because if they are too blatant about doing what we're suggesting is a good thing. They may not get a chance to do a good thing, but once. That's right. Very if, they're, if they're careful, they may be, may be able to help a whole lot more people for a longer period of time. And that's not new. That's always been the case. And I, I mean, just, just even my father's generation, my father told me when I was in college thinking that I knew something about the struggle uh, you know, leading some some kind of actions and stuff. He told me things that he had to do to continue his business in Montgomery because they felt he was too successful for a black man in his general contracting. Uh, he was a general contractor and everybody knew him. You know, a little visibility came. He had a few trucks rolling around with his name on them and stuff. Yeah. And he was telling me, he said, you, you have no idea of some of the jobs that I did in Montgomery because if I had told people that I was doing those jobs as a black man, it would have been the end of my company. And he was advising me on my activism because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an activist now and I actually think I know something. I just got my little degree. I really probably thought I really knew something then. And, and I'm telling him how we're, we're constantly getting sabotaged. And he made it very clear. He said, you're getting sabotaged because you talk too much. <laughs> that, was, that was a quick summary of it. Then, <laughs> that was his way of getting my attention, actually. Then he started explaining to me what he meant. And he told me about projects he worked on in Montgomery that I never thought a black man worked on. And I knew the projects happened. He said, I couldn't tell anybody I was doing that. I'd lose a job. And if he lost a job, not only did he not get the money, the, the black men working for his company didn't get the money either. Right. Right. And that became my paradigm from that day forward in terms of how I thought about things. Let so, me throw something, let me throw something at you. We just recently had a situation where one of the care offices, not Chicago, one of, I think it was Ohio or I'm not sure exactly, but mm -hmm. one of the care offices was uh, found out they had a mole. They had somebody who was uh, sending information to some anti-Islamic um, organizations or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were a lot of folks who were like, you know, kind of clutching their pearls. They were um, really surprised and, you know, felt, you know, a sense of betrayal. And, and, and all I could think, to be quite honest, I wasn't surprised, number one. Right. <laughs> um, I, you know, it did not make me feel any less secure. Right. Um, because we have seen this movie before. Um, as a matter of fact, in uh, Malcolm X's uh, uh, Ballad of the Bullet, yes. uh, the speech he gave uh, in Detroit, he says at the very outset, it's good to be here. He says, you know, uh, friends and distinguished folks. And he says, I, and I see a couple of enemies here too. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it should be expected. Right? If you're doing anything worthwhile, yeah. somebody's watching you. Yeah. If they don't spend any money watching you, you're probably you probably not doing anything important. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, matter of fact, that means that means you need to raise your game up. You need to um, raise your game up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. If they're yeah. not worried about you, there's something wrong with what you're doing. Yeah. So that that's that's the litmus test right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I also think that um with with this month and what it represents, um, I think it also is important for us to hold on to this, uh, to the history that is not mentioned. Mm-hmm. um a lot of th- there's this it's not hidden and a lot of times it's not hidden they they've done a really masterful job of pitting uh african-american muslims african-american christians uh against one another or mm-hmm. poisoning our our christian brothers and sisters against uh islam yes um and it comes out in some really strange ways right and because of that the benefit of our experience here our unique history and the contributions that have come from that community, I think are lost in a lot of ways. Um, that, that is, if you name them specifically as these are contributions from the African-American Muslim uh, experience. Now, if you don't name them and just try to just kind of give an idea, maybe it's a little more palatable, but, mm-hmm. but, that, but that's a part of their history as well. Sure. And, and I feel like there's sometimes where that's not recognized. Yeah, I think that's the work of people who don't particularly appreciate any African-American achievement. Yeah. And if African-American Christians and African-American Muslims, not only can we live in the same city peacefully, we can live in the same neighborhood peacefully. We can live and have be in the same schools peacefully. Because even in at the Clara Muhammad School, we had uh, Christian students at the school. Yeah, sometimes in the same house. I want to throw that and, in there. Too. Oh, absolutely, in the same house. Sure, yeah. in my house at times. Mm-hmm. And the um, we're in the same family. That's right. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We don't we don't have any African American Muslim families that have been Muslim for six or seven generations. So, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> Most African American Muslims are existing in families that are like 90, 95% Christian. That's right. And existing happily and peacefully. Yeah. You know, uh, and I remember when my brother and I went to share with the family that we had both decided to become Muslim. And my brother, I hope he never hears this because he, he can be, be pissed with me. My, my brother was the baby in the family for a long time. You know, I was the oldest and then we had a middle brother. So being the oldest in a typical black family, being the old, I was the oldest boy, my sister was older than me. But being the oldest boy, you get used to deferring and giving up for your younger brothers and sisters and, you know, the only thing they didn't like was the fact that you got the newer clothes because you could hand them down. But, right. but he was much more accustomed to getting his way. And my approach was, I was I was the peace chief. You know, keeping peace was my thing. So I told him, I said, look, all we have to do when we go in to tell them that we're Muslim is to start telling my mother Start thanking my mother for raising us the way she did, and with these ideas that really 
you know, and what they have said about us really being great sons and everything, you know, and that we have to really honor our parents. And my mother had already come to Chicago from Detroit for a Savior's Day one time on the bus. We were on it too. Wow. She knew about the Muslims, you know, and of course the Muslims were quite visible in Detroit. Yeah. And my, my brother wanted to go in and kind of like insist that they kind of accept it. Man, look, you think you're going to be able to tell my mother something? <laughs> oh, man. We got to start telling her about how she took us to church every Sunday, you know, and until I was 15 and she let me stop going because she said I was talking too much in church about asking too many questions. Yeah. But I said, my mother, I said, look, my mother was coming to church. My mother was always in the choir until she got older, her voice, and then she got into missionary things. So my mother was the first one coming into church every Sunday. And they would march into this song. And the song is, we come this far by faith, mm. leaning on the Lord, trusting in his holy word. He never failed me yet. And they do this little course and they do it again. Can't turn around. We come this far by faith. And I'm sitting in Detroit. I say, we in Detroit. We came from Alabama. We struggling. I know we got here, but I love that part. But after that, it's like what they were talking about did me a lot too. <laughs> But because it was it was a little hustling going on, you know, from the from the people. And my mother was really, I realized that touched my mother's heart, that she was having that effect on me. And my mother, like, she, she mumbled a little bit. I said, man, just keep playing it this way. Man, look, in a year's time, my mother could cook without pork better than, I won't say better than, as good as any Muslim sister I knew. And wow. my family in Detroit to this day. None of them are Muslim except me and this brother and our offspring, but none of them eat pork. Wow. <laughs> none of them eat pork. And for a while there, as the kids were young, they would send us stuff for Christmas and we would send them stuff for Eid. That's, see, that's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> that's how it's supposed to be. <laughs> that's how it's supposed to you be. Know, and, and, you know, if you really look at many places in Africa, you had Christians and, and, and Muslims coexisting too. Yeah. You know, it, it was never as big a problem. I, I'm honest, just being honest with you, it didn't seem to be as big a problem among us or even in many parts of Africa as it was in some other parts of the world. I just say it that way in terms of, you know, Islam, quote unquote, the versus Christianity thing. Yeah. You know what? I, I think I think we lose sight of the source of our division uh, and who who is fostering uh, division between us. And, you know, that has been, that's been the strategy uh, forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The strategy forever. For those that want to exploit, they do so by sowing uh, division, by picking yeah. folks with one another. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and it's important for us to think about, like, our, just going back to, to African history, mm -hmm. our downfall was tribalism yes it was yes. Tribalism. it was not right we didn't we didn't have to deal with racism mm -mm. Right? but tribalism is what is what is what uh, uh did us in yes and and, and we, when we bring that same mindset when we don't learn from the past and we mm -hmm. are in these this new environment mm -hmm. and we still replicating that same that same fault yeah right what, what can we expect yeah I was cheating a little bit, take, typing something into Google. I couldn't think of the, the author's name. But there's an author, interestingly, he doesn't get much play at all. 
His name is uh, Edward Wilmot Blyden. Oh, yes. You know about Blyden, right? Yes. I think he was Methodist, sent to Africa as a missionary. Yep. And got there and saw- I think he was a Muslim. He did become a Muslim eventually. He yeah. was very quiet about it. Uh -huh. I think the more important thing about him was he went there with a sincere desire just to see his African brothers and sisters elevated. Yeah. And he found Muslims living with Christians. That's the most important point I'm making right now. He yeah. found Muslims and Christians living peacefully together. And he found some areas that were predominantly, more predominantly Muslim than Christian, et cetera. And he saw, because he saw his people thriving in those areas that were predominated by Muslim, predominantly Muslim, he became very curious about and, 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 and heavily researched al-Islam. Yeah. And I don't think he ever became an anti-Christian. He just thought he could, he could, he, he could, he saw no conflict with Islam. Yeah. He didn't see a conflict with Islam and, the, and what he probably considered to be the true teachings of, of Christ. Mm -hmm. And he just acted accordingly. He's another thought leader that nobody ever talks about. I mean, you won't probably hear his name in another interview other than this one in all <laughs> African-American history month. His name won't come up. And I'm only familiar with him because um, he was referenced in some, uh, in some readings uh, for, for for class I'm taking for uh, for, for you know, graduate school, yeah. Um, and th once again, that is problematic. That you know, yeah. You got to go to graduate school before you you know find out about somebody like this. I think I discovered him in graduate school, and it wasn't in a class. I was roaming the stacks at Michigan for books on Islam. Wow, wow. It wasn't one, it wasn't one of my classes. I'm sure I used him in one of my papers. Yeah, but I just. I, the title intrigued me, so I, so so I actually picked it up and I read it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna wind down. Um, I want to ask you uh, if there is a particular takeaway we, when we think about this idea of this month uh, evolving. Uh, that this month has always been attached to to our souls. It's been a, it's, mm -hmm. you know it's been good for us to reflect on what we've done to kind of inform what could be possible, mm -hmm. right? Have you stopped to think about where we see this? Um, uh, what's the growth of it? You know, is it what well, we get rid of? Well, we don't even have to have the month because this education is inculcated in, in educational um, uh, curriculums, you know, just writ large. Definitely want to see more of our contributions and just our role. I mean, I don't think everything about us said about us has to be absolutely great, you know, but I think most of what's worth being worth, most of what can be said about us that's worth saying, it's pretty positive. Even the most, even the heaviest quote unquote downside, when you look at what we are responding to and how we respond, it's quite amazing that we are responding and that we are thriving as, 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 as much as we are thriving. And I think that's something that's good for the American spirit. I don't think it's just something that's good for us. I think if we play a role in, 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 in writing the books, and I, so I, because I don't wanna just say history, but in all the disciplines, then we will have a true picture of America. 
because you can't build on a false idea. You, you said, let's make America, let's make America great again. I hate to, I hate to even have to use that phrase, but yeah. first of all, you have to say, what would be, what would make America great? When was that? You know, when was that? Because you really want to ignore some of the most, a lot of the great things that happened in America, you want to ignore them. So if we have to, if we have to go back to be greater, what the heck is going on? You know, we said that America is a place where anyone can come and basically be the best of themselves. I'm, 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 it's not these, I'm not, I'm putting these words here, but that's what it all kind of, I, summar, I summarize it all that way. Yeah. Then obviously the best of America hasn't happened yet. So I think the mainstreaming that you're talking about, because uh, I don't want to mainstream you leave most of my stuff out. <laughs> you just oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you want to teach it all. You want to teach about me all year, but you teach very little. Especially when, yeah. uh, and if and if folks are not aware of this, the um, the scholastic, you know, the, the school book capital of, of of the nation is in Texas. Yeah, uh, and they have a very specific. Uh, leaning uh, in the way they want to frame stuff, and we generally get framed right out of it. So it's You'll a lot that has to be, has to be uh, fixed before we get to that point. You're absolutely right. You know, I worked in textbook publishing for a year mm. because I wanted to find out what textbooks came from. And the Imam and I had, had conversations about Imam Borthy Muhammad and I had conversations about it. And Allah blessed me to get a textbook editor job at Follett Publishing then for a year to see oh, wow. how textbooks were developed. And yeah. you're right. We had what we call adoption states. Yeah. And there were, I don't know, maybe five of them, California, Texas, Arizona, North Carolina. So, but most of them were what we would call right-leaning states. Yeah. And when you're writing a textbook to sell, oftentimes you write to those states' demands. Yeah, spot on. Spot yeah. on. But what encourages me is that young people, younger people than me, people like your age and younger, mm -hmm. they've got, there are so many channels, streaming channels, et cetera, with so much black history out there that it's just like, it just warms my heart. I mean, it's just like, I, I, I subscribe to them knowing doggone well, I'm probably never gonna get back to it again. <laughs> I just, I, I just wanna give them some points. And it's, it's, it's African-American history and it's African history. And we're finding out there's so much we don't know we don't know that Africans came to this continent long before Columbus was born, you know, and actually he found some when he got it. There's so much we don't know. The schools will never teach this. So we have to always realize that it's our responsibility. Yeah. And we have to, we have the freedom to do it now. We don't have to wait on anybody. Yeah. And you know what? I, I guess I'll make this my, my final thought. You feel free to uh, reply before we uh, close out. Um, I believe that, African-Americans are a blessing for America. Oh, man, goodness. Um, a blessing for what is, for what is possible, uh, humanly possible, uh, to show that uh, hate, to show that oppression, to show that, you know, uh, persecution of these things cannot destroy the human spirit. Yes. Um, and our creative output, our... Uh, contributions towards society, you know, writ large, our intellectual contributions, 
um, like I said, our culture, our music, all of these things, I think they are testament to that. Yeah. Um, and 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 the fact, and I know because when people are scared, there's nothing worse than a scared person. Scared people don't think, right? A scared person will, you can't save them from drowning, coming directly to them. You got to sneak up on them. Um, but there is a segment of America, unfortunately, you know, some of our, our, our white brothers and sisters who have this unexplained and they don't understand how to deal with this fear that there is a reprisal waiting on them uh, for what's been done in the past, even though there's nothing, there's nothing really in our history that, that says this. We just like, you know, um, so yeah, so I say we're, we're a blessing and hopefully people can understand that blessing because we got a shared history. You know? Well, I'll close with, I think, an idea that the imam put out. I won't, because I okay. don't remember his words. Yeah. But he let us know, and I would say he even charged us with this, that we were going to actually have to help some of our white brothers and sisters through this transition. And as I've learned over time, I think, I believe that some of what was, well, I've had some conversations with him, but I mean, some of what was driving that thought is he realizes that in terms of human development, the greatest victim of this whole racist system in terms of unachieved development are really our white brothers and sisters, particularly the, 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 the average and the poor ones. Yeah. They have been left totally underdeveloped. I agree. 100%. Well, Brother Clyde, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, come on. I'm honored. Very much. Very much honored. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, remember to keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, uh, Spotify, wherever. All right, look for us. Subscribe, rate, and review. And we look forward to seeing you next time. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and I leave you as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.